So I had two things happen this weekend that kind of added to my the word that I was sharing with you this morning. And uh, I thought they fit in really well, and I wanted to uh, add them to it. Uh, one was I was uh, at, uh, back up north in Sabetha where my wife is from. And I have a sister who lives there as well. And so I go and I visit my sister. I go out to her house around 6 a.m. when I'm up there, and we have coffee, and we sit around and we talk uh, until her husband goes out and does chores. And uh, then my sister Dort and I talk some more. And then my other sister happened to be there. And uh, through the conversation and all that we love to talk as family, uh, she said, hey, uh, Sarah, my sister, who had come out to visit, uh, brought out some things that she had found of mom's, and I think you might want one. And I was like, cool. And uh, so she brought it out, and there was these sheets of paper, and we began to look at them, and uh, they were uh, signed, their drawings, I'll show you one. We went ahead and put it in an acid-free frame because I've got to do a little bit of research on it. But it's just a piece of paper. And if you can't see it or not, it's got a pencil drawing on it. Of It looks like either wallpaper or a wood design or a plaster design of, uh, you know, re really nice kind of a design. And it's um, like fleur, fleur de lures or uh, whatever those things are. Can you see it, Hella? Hella, this, this would be something that, you know, you would, you would appreciate. But it was drawn here, and at the bottom of it, it has a name on it, and each page was different. Uh, one was one guy, but I, I grabbed this one, and this one has the name of Heinrich Bechtel. Heinrich is my uh, great-grandfather's grandfather, so it would be great, great, great. So my great, great, great grandfather, Heinrich, did this, uh, he uh, was born, raised, and died in Switzerland. So he did this in Switzerland, and the year on it is February 5th, 1849. And he died in 1872. So uh, mom had these, who knows where she had them, but my sister found them while going through mom's stuff, and so I, I, I took one as a remembrance of uh, my family that came from Switzerland, just a personal drawing. Uh, to remember back, kind of the fun stuff, you know, of Heinrich. And Heinrich died a 100 years before I was born. So it's a kind of unique history. It's kind of fun. I want to get it framed up nice with acid-free paper and stuff that will help it to last because it's already 100 and whatever, 160 years old or 70 years old. But uh, so that was kind of a neat thing that I was able to grab. And then she has one and my other sister has one and there's, there's more there. And then later on, I, we came home from visiting last night, and there was a box on our front porch. And in the box, my, my, one of my other brothers had sent some other things that they had found uh, of our parents that belonged to me and had shipped them out to us. One was a coffee cup of my dad's that was uh, Alabama, University of Alabama grandpa, you know. And uh, so they sent that back to us and some pictures of our kids. But in it was also a sweatshirt, 1990 sweatshirt with all my class signatures. So it was my class's graduation sweatshirt, you know. And I don't know, I think either, either it shrunk or my arms have gotten longer because it did not fit me well. But it was just another remembrance of where I had come from, you know, remembering back where you are from. So we want to remember this morning where we're from. John chapter 20 and we'll read it here in just a second, about the resurrection of Jesus, really begins in Isaiah 53. I won't read this chapter. Uh, if you never have, 
Or if you need a reminder, go back and reread Isaiah 53, which talks about Jesus laying down his life and all that it meant, all that Jesus fulfilled. He was bruised for our iniquity. He uh, uh, shed his blood for our transgressions. He took stripes for our healing. All that takes place there, it's all laid out. And then in John 20, we see the after effect. After he has done this, he's been dead now in the grave. All of the uh, desires and dreams and thoughts and lives of the disciples are, are in shatters. They're just shambles, crashed on the floor. Everything that they had thought of was going to take place, it's over. And they're, they're just all probably in a little bit of PTSD shock, to be honest. They don't know what to do, where to go, who to trust, what is what, what's up, what God said. Does God really, is he faithful? Who is he? Maybe we've been crazy this entire time. You understand what's all going through their head all this time? John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene, now Mary Magdalene was the one that Jesus loved, even though she had been a, a woman of the street uh, and had been demon-possessed, Jesus uh, saw her and redeemed her and brought life to her and brought her out of that life and into the life of holiness. He had cast devils out of her. She loved him immensely. She's the woman that washed his feet with her hair and, and kissed and anointed him. So Jesus has this relationship with Mary Magdalene uh, because she loves him so much because she was forgiven much. Okay? So uh, in the morning, while it is still dark, she came to him. So in the midst of her still being in the darkness of the situation, there is no resurrection, there is no victory, there is just the the problem, the darkness of the problem. She comes to the tomb and she sees that the stone has been taken away. She doesn't think, oh, Jesus is risen. Woohoo, we have victory. No, she reads the situation in the midst of her darkness and says, oh no, they've come and they've stolen his body away. She relates to it still in the situation of her darkness. And she runs, and she goes to Simon Peter and the other disciples. And uh, the one whom Jesus loved is talking about John. John authored this, and he refers to himself as the one who Jesus loved. If I'm not mistaken, John is the same one that ran away uh, so fast when Jesus was arrested that he left his clothes behind. Okay? He got out of there. Peter was the one that denied Christ. So they're all living in the midst of this. We denied him. We forsook him. And he was killed Brutally, uh, he was unjustly after all that he had done. And then Mary runs in and says, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. To make matters even worse, man, they've kicked us in the gut and they've taken his body. They're probably desecrating his body somewhere. This is where they are in the midst of their darkness. So Peter goes running out with the other disciple and the other disciple was younger and fitter, and they ran together, but he outran Peter, and he reached the tomb first. So John gets to the tomb, but he doesn't go in because he's still in the darkness of the situation. Have you ever been in a, in a discouraging situation where you're right on the edge of victory, but you still, you don't know you are, and so you're just like, man, I don't even know if I could take any more of disappointment because 
John didn't know the tomb was empty and that Jesus had risen. John just got to the empty tomb and sure enough, the stone was rolled away. How much more can I take of this, God? Where are you? We trusted you. We believed you. Uh, I, you said you were going to do this. Jesus was with us. He was constantly. And now we're all alone. We feel all alone. It's dark. I don't know where you are. You're dead. Everything we believed, we feel forsaken. We feel, emphasize the word feel. We feel forsaken. We feel forgotten. We feel left. We feel abandoned. And I, I can't even go in. So John stays on the outside. Peter is very inquisitive. And stooping to look in, he saw that the linen's lying there, but he didn't go in. So Peter then came and following him went directly in the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, was not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Now, I've heard teachings about that being the signal of when you were done, when it was finished and completed the meal, you folded the napkin up and you put it on the table. So that he saw. Then the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also came in and he saw and he believed. He saw Jesus for who he was. He remembered where he had come from. He remembered the experiences and the life that he had with Jesus. And he saw and he believed, okay, Jesus is alive. Even though it's dark, I am looking and I see. Oh, he said he would do it and look, it's finished. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to believe him. It says here that they believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture. They didn't have full understanding that he must rise from the dead. So they go back to their houses. You know, very often, we live in this state of our Christianity. Where we know Isaiah 63, but we live in the state where we're right outside the tomb. Where he, we have this expectation, we see the fulfillment, we begin to understand, and we begin to recognize who Jesus is. But then something happens that kicks us in the gut where we're like, well, that's not who I understand Jesus to be. And then, bam, we stand there at the edge of the tomb. He's gone. We're abandoned. The situation's lost. There is no hope. There is no answer. There's no way through. I can't make it. I'm not strong enough. God's not big enough. The sin's too great. Whatever the situation is, we stand there at the edge of the tomb, not going in. I want to remind you this morning, Jesus wants to remind you this morning that the resurrection was not just an event on the timeline of the world and nothing further. The resurrection... Uh, is something that you take with you every day of the week, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. It's something that's available right now. So don't stand outside of the tent, uh, outside of the tomb. Go on in and be reminded who Jesus is. Remind yourself of his resurrection power and that he, able is, he is able to finish 
what he promises. Now, soon after that, they, they see him. Mary Magdalene sees him. And she has this, uh, uh, this cute interaction with him. Cute in the sense that uh, the disciples run off. She's still standing there. She looks in. There's two angels sitting in wait on the tomb. And she asks them, hey, are, are, you guys are gardeners, right? Where'd you put his body? Because Mary Magdalene hasn't, hasn't gotten there yet. And she's sitting there crying. And Jesus walks up to her. Jesus does. And he says, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? What are you looking for? And she thinks Jesus is the gardener. And she says, why have you carried him away? And Jesus says to her, Mary. That's all it took. He just said her name. Because Jesus sees you. Jesus knows you. He knows your name. He has intimate relationship with you. If you have given your life to him, you've experienced the resurrection in your heart, the first stage of it. You've experienced what new life is. You have intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. And all it takes is for him just to say your name to remind you, hey, I know where you are right now in the midst of the problem. And I've risen. I've risen. So your problem really isn't as big as you're making it out to be. It may seem big, but I've got answers, says the Lord. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans. Are you going to stand outside the tomb? It's all finished. It's over. It's hopeless. God can't answer. Or are you going to see me for who I am and remember who I am? Do you remember who I am? See, Adam forgot who God was. Adam forgot who God was. Adam's created. Adam and Eve are walking around. They're enjoying the ultimate presence of God. They're enjoying life. They have purpose. They're... they're have fellowship with the Father, Satan comes in and begins to convince them that they really don't know who he is. And they forget who God is. And they rebel and they eat the one thing they should not eat because they want to become like God. They cross a line that they were never intended to cross because they forgot who God is. And so when God comes to them, they run and hide because they forgot who God is. He's no longer the loving father who created me and gave me purpose and gave me life. He's the one who's going to punish me and kill me, not realizing that they were already dead. And he was coming to redeem them. They turned away because they forgot who he is. Have you forgotten who Jesus is? That's right. Have you forgotten who Jesus is? Abraham forgot who Jesus was. Remember the difficulty God promised and said, hey, all of this land, as far as you can see, it all belongs to you, Abram. And he gives it to him, 
And then there begins this famine in the land. And Abram, instead of going to God and saying, God, you know, how do I handle this situation? Instead of going into the tomb and saying, Jesus, meet me in the midst of this situation in your resurrection power. He goes, oh, I, I need to skip off to Egypt and make sure I get fed. And when he get there, Pharaoh says, you know, hey, who's this beautiful lady with you? Oh, it's my sister. You remember, he does this twice. He does it with the Egyptians, and he does it with uh, Shechem. I didn't look that second one up, so forgive me if I don't have my terminology. I think it was Shechem. Because he forgets who God is. And then God reminds him, hey, remember, I am the God Almighty. And he forgets again. And God says, hey, man, don't forget, I'm the one who makes the covenant with you without you. And he forgets, and he goes, hey, man, I know you're 99, but you're still going to have a kid. And Sarah laughs. <laughs> okay, then you'll name him Laughter. Isaac. Isaac. Because he forgot. See, but they didn't have Jesus. They had simply a word of promise. Looking forward to Jesus coming. We have Jesus and we have the Holy Spirit who lives within us. So let's not forget. Let's not live outside the tomb. Let's come into and remind us who Jesus is. Let's remind ourselves where we came from. What's our heritage? What's been spoken over us? Who we are? What's our DNA? Now I know this is all physical. This is physical DNA. You got spiritual DNA. Because I know some of you may not have something like this that says who, what your physical DNA is. And that's okay. What's important is the spiritual DNA that you have. Jesus, you're a new creature in Christ. All old things have passed away. All things have become new. And all things are of God who has reconciled you to himself and given you the ministry of reconciliation. Israel and Gideon forgot God, forgot who they were, forgot the strength and the power of God to deliver. Because the enemy came in and, and they were hiding and Gideon is here trying to do business in this oppressive situation. So he's threshing wheat in a wine press. He's hiding the wheat so he doesn't get it stolen. He's living in an occupied territory. They had forgotten who God was. And God came and reminded, Hey Gideon, I'm with you. You're a mighty warrior. I've chosen you guys. Rise up. You've got my strength. It isn't about you. It's about my strength. So rise up and deliver Israel. You're a mighty warrior because I'm with you. I'm not saying this because you're a mighty warrior. You who's hiding in an occupied country, threshing wheat in a wine press. I'm saying this because this is who you are in me. So come into the tomb, see what I've done, remind yourself that Jesus resurrected, that we celebrated on Easter Sunday, the power of God to overcome. Remind yourself of that and come into the fullness of what I have for you. And he does. And he struggles. But God keeps reminding him. Esther, Esther forgot who she was. Esther forgot that she was 
a chosen member of the chosen nation. And so when she gets elevated, she's like, wow, I can't believe this has happened to me. And then they get in trouble, you remember, and Mordecai says, don't forget that you're a Jew as well. And so Esther says, okay, then I need to remember who I am. Let's fast and fast with me so that I remember who I am. And she gets the idea to go in and do this. And she walks it out and saves the nation. For such a time as this, do you think you're any different? For such a time as this, you are where you are, and Jesus is with you. The same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Romans 8. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your dead bodies. Meaning that he has the power to come right in the situation and fulfill his will for your life. His will for your life. You can walk it out. Don't forget who Jesus is. You remember when David was a young boy, it, the army of Israel had totally, completely forgotten who they were and who God was. Because some big Philistine, some big Goliath and his brothers stood up. You remember David's sermon here a few weeks back? Stood up with his giant blow-up uh, gingerbread man for nine foot tall. Goliath stood up and said, you can't do it. I'm bigger than you. I'm badder than you. You're defeated. Some situations like this Goliath right now, talking to you, it's not going to happen. You won't be able to do it. And what David said, he said, he didn't go, oh, yes, I can. David wasn't cocky. He wasn't arrogant. David believed in the Lord. David has a, had a revelation of who he was and who Israel was in the kingdom of heaven. He remembered. And so he stood on that. He said, because of who God is, I'm going to defeat you. Because of who God is. David does it again. His entire army that he had been discipling. So David's leading the church of, of uh, crazy guys. They're like wild warrior guys. David's leading this group. And they uh, go out and they defeat. And then they come home to find that their entire village had been ransacked. Somebody had come through destroyed everything, burnt everything, stole everything. They didn't know if there were wives were, and children were alive or dead. They had no idea. Just everything was gone, ransacked. That's discouraging. I thought we were God's people. And all the men, they begin to go, uh, we should have just, we should kill David. Look what he's done to us. Look what he's... And they began to murmur against him. And they talked about killing David. And what did David do? You remember this story? Ziklag? David gets down and he begins to worship the Lord. He begins to remind himself of who Jesus is. Of the promises of the Father to his people Israel. Of all that he had spoken over and to David. He began to remind himself who Jesus is. And he got his eyes on Jesus instead of the situation so that he could hear then, okay, Jesus, how do you want to overcome? Because you have the resurrected power. Now, I know David didn't have that revelation, but he had a revelation of God. We have the revelation of Jesus. And David got it. He went and defeated the enemy, and everybody came home safe. 
we cannot forget what Jesus has done for us. We need to remember from whom we came. Jesus said in John 3, 16 and 17, he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, he gave his only son, me, to, to die. God gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. For God did not come into the world to condemn the world. I'm not God returning into the garden to punish you because you were ignorant and foolish and ate the fruit. I'm coming into the garden to redeem you. Did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now that word saved is the word sozo, which is body, soul, and spirit. It's full-on salvation, not half. It's not a McDonald's hamburger. Pseudo meat. You know, it's about, they keep getting smaller. Have you noticed? On it, you just get like a hamburger. I like just the plain cheeseburgers. And the meat portion just gets smaller and smaller. You know, it reminds me back to the old Wendy's commercial, Where's the Beef? It just keeps getting that way. God's not like that. He doesn't do partial. He does full on. And the resurrected power of Jesus brought full on sudzo salvation. He says in Luke 19, verses 9 and 10, that he came, let me just read this for you real fast, to seek that which was saved, to seek that which was lost, I'm sorry, but it's better if I just read it. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost, sozo the lost. That's why Jesus came. That's what the resurrection is about. That's what the resurrection belongs to you. So let me just go over. I know it's a little warm in here. I want to go over some of the things that Jesus has given you through the resurrection. He's given you forgiveness. It's forgiven. If you're standing outside of the tomb wondering whether or not it could ever be forgiven, go on in the tomb. Let it go. If you need to bring your sins there, put them at the foot of the cross and leave them there. Imagine doing that if you need to. Put them there. Write it down on a piece of paper and put it at the foot of the cross. We'll get rid of it for you because that's where it belongs, under the blood and gone. It's forgiven. Another thing he's, Jesus brought by resurrecting, he brought peace. If you don't have peace in your heart, You've got to give those anxieties and fears and concerns over to Jesus. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in all things with prayer and supplication, let your requests be known to God. And the God of all peace will guard your heart through Christ Jesus. Because the resurrected power is enough. Remember who you, where you came from. Don't be anxious. Another thing he brought was healing. Isaiah 53, 5 and uh, second, or 1 Peter 2, 24. By his stripes, you are healed. And that isn't just healing from sin. That is full on. When Jesus said he would come in, in Luke 4, 18, he's anointed to uh, deliver, to heal, to bring sight to the blind. It's a full on thing. So don't walk in just part of what Jesus has for you. 
because of religious tradition. Walk in all that he has for you. Wisdom. Jesus brought wisdom. How many need wisdom? James 1.5. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. So ask. So ask. Yeah, just ask. Don't stand outside of the, outside the tomb and, man, I wish I knew. Oh, I'm just, I'm just going to have to just do something stupid because I don't know how to solve this. So I'm just going to have to totally react and screw my life completely up and just do something really, really dumb and stupid and self, you know what, because I don't know how to. No, just go in the tomb and ask. Jesus is big enough. And he may tell you, be patient, I got this. You're like, no, I want this settled today. And he's like, no, be patient, I got this. Or he may tell you, do this. Or he may tell you, well, cut the TV off. You know, he'll tell you all kinds of things, but let him speak to you. Let him give you the wisdom. Make the, the resurrection of Jesus valid today. I wrote something this morning in, my, in the prayer room. Because I think about, uh, you know, where it says God is not mocked. But a man reaps what he sows. I wrote, I don't want Jesus proven just. Because Jesus will be proven just. What a man, God's not mocked. What a man sows, he's going to reap. So Jesus is going to be proven just. I don't want simply Jesus proven just. I would rather have Jesus' mercy and power in his goodness proven. To where he can take whatever I've done and he can work it for good. I'm not going to settle just for him to be, yeah, Jesus was right. I screwed up and I'm reaping. I'm going to settle for, okay, Jesus, I've messed up, but you know what? You promised in Romans 8 that you work all things for the good of those that love you and walk according to your purposes. So if you can take this and make something good out of it, then I'm going to trust in your resurrection power to do that, and I will not gloat in my stupidity. I will not be prideful about what I deserve. I will not hold on as a trophy all of my sins and problems. I'm going to go to you, Jesus, and say, yep, I screwed up. Thank you for your forgiveness. Help me to walk out of this any way I can. Help me to learn from this and grow and be more like you. And I will testify about the power of your blood. Oh, wait, isn't that Revelations? They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Come on, it's hot in here. It's good. You guys know what it's like to go to church in Saudi Arabia. Come on. It's not that hot, no. You have purpose, and I'm almost done here. Ephesians 2.10, you've got purpose. You exist for a reason. You are where you are for a reason. Don't let the enemy lie to you. Don't sit out outside the tomb going, oh, I don't know what to do with my life. Ask Jesus. If there needs to be a change, then let him lead you in a change. But don't just sit there and treat it as a prison because you're not in a prison. You're not trapped in any way, shape, or form. Jesus is greater than any prison walls that the enemy or your family or anyone else would try to put up. He's the liberator. Let him liberate. Ephesians 2.10 said that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prearranged in advance for us to do. Be on purpose.
You have righteousness. Thank you, Abby. You have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of God. Romans 14, 17. Don't sit outside of the tomb going, I just don't have the righteousness or I'm not sanctified or I just don't have peace or man, I wish I had joy. Get in the tomb, figure it out, get to Jesus, remember where you came from and begin to live in the kingdom that God brought you into by his precious blood. Remember that great song from the 90s? Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God. Don't you want to be a part of the kingdom? You guys don't know that song? Oh, you need to look it up. One of the great songs of the late 80s, early 90s. You want to be a part of the kingdom? Divine power. Let me close by reading over you what Paul wanted to remind us. Because this is... I really just stole this sermon. I stole this sermon from Paul. This is Paul's sermon to you. Okay? You can find it in Ephesians 1, beginning with verse 16. Paul says, I don't cease to give thanks for you, talking to the church in Ephesians, but it applies to you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, that you'd know who Jesus is. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you would know what is the hope to which he has called you. What's your purpose? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What are you missing out on that belongs to you? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Is it impossible for God? According to the workings of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. See, Paul's preaching the resurrection of Jesus and what it means to you today. And this is like, I don't know, 20, 30 years after Jesus resurrected. So this isn't an event This is a everyday life. Jesus is alive and well and resurrected today in my life. What's he want to do today? Come on, Jesus. Help me to get out of the way and have some fun. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and everything the enemy is going to throw at you. Jesus is far above it. That uh, over anything the enemy throws at you, I just added that. That's not in there just to make sure. And above every name that is named... Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. See, Jesus is higher than any authority. And if you want a really good testimony about how Jesus is even higher than the government, just ask Justin Song. Share about his visa testimony. Where the guy threw the passport at him. Said, I, I, I can't believe they did this. <clears throat> Probably cussed at you in Chinese. As he threw the passport at you, get out of my office, but here's your visa. Above every power and authority. Come on, Jesus. And God put all things under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church. So Jesus, the head head boss, the big boss, is over you. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So before the resurrection, 
You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirits that are now in the work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Okay, so let's get over it. We're all like that, every single one of us. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he has toward you, Jesus loves you. Even when you were dead in your trespass, Jesus saved you, even before you knew you were being saved, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. You don't deserve it, but he did it. So stop fighting and arguing with him about it. And raised us up in with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Because of the resurrection, you have power and authority in Christ Jesus. The resurrected power is still alive and well. So that, this is important, verse 7, so that, this is chapter 2, verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So why does God want to go ahead and solve your problems and rescue, rescue you and keep picking you up in the dirt and uh, bring the victory to your family that your family's never seen and bring breakthrough and reach nations and, and uh, liberate people? Why does Jesus want to do that? Because he enjoys it. He enjoys showing how great his grace is. So why stand out at the... Uh, front of the tomb and not go in going, wow, you know, I guess it's not big enough for this one. Why do that? Jesus has that answer. I'm almost done here. <laughs> I remember growing up in some past being in a sermon where the pastor said, I'm closing. I mean, I think he said I'm closing like 27 times and went on for another hour. <laughs> I remember thinking, somebody needs to talk to that guy, but I'm not like that. For by grace, verse 8, you have been saved through faith. That's the faith part. Believing, receiving. Because you're going to believe something, guys, right? You're going to believe either believe your problem is big, or your sins are too big, or the sickness is too big, or this is too big, or that's too big, or, or whatever. You're going to believe one or the other. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's Christmas time every day, so receive it. It's not a result of your works, verse 9, so that no one may boast. In the same way, same way it's not uh, as a result or decline because of your failure so that no one could say, well, my failure is so great. You're going to boast either way. Either I deserve it or I don't deserve it. That's still boasting. You get that? Verse 10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works with God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. The resurrected power of Jesus is us walking in all that God has prepared for us individually. Done. It is finished. So let me pray over you this morning. Jesus, I thank you for this beautiful body that you poured your blood out for. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus, it was enough. Thank you, Jesus, that you rose from the dead and that you are risen in each one of them. Thank you for your sweet Holy Spirit that comes and fills up every believer, Lord. Come and fill us afresh, Father, with your sweet presence. And Jesus, let your resurrection power, your dunamis of your Holy Spirit come and, and bring about your perfect will in each one of our lives. That's what we pray, Lord. Let your will be done in our lives as it is done in heaven. Yes and amen. Happy Resurrection Day. See you next Sunday.